Chapter 1 Kenneth's eyes traced the edges of the small rectangular headstone. The rugged surface of the light grey stone, bearing the scars of the blacksmith's chisel, properly spoke of his brother and the brazen attitude he'd brought to the world. Chorich had been rugged. He had been strong, strong-minded and strong-willed. And he would have his way, even if it brought a few scars in the process. Still, the honourable headstone did little to offer sufficient peace or comfort to Kenneth. It still doesn't seem real, Chorich, Kenneth finally muttered. His brother was gone. He had filled the world with his presence yet had emptied it with his departure. A cool breeze blew and pulled Kenneth from his trance. He swallowed and glanced at the thinning clouds overhead. He sat in silence thinking of his brothers. He had never envisioned Chorich lying in the ground beside Drostam. He recalled that rainy day several years prior when he, along with Chorich and Aidan, had buried Drostam. Now his two older brothers rested side by side like sleeping warriors in the shadow of Renton's small abbey. Kenneth gazed at Drostam's headstone. Rich green fescue dotted with tiny white clover blossoms had spread around the stone and covered the grey site. A handful of dandelions stood here and there, making the area look much like any other patch of grass and weeds allowed to grow as nature willed. Only the weathered remains of Drostan's small headstone spoke of his presence in the earth below. Taking a deep breath, Kenneth returned his attention to the vellum parchment clutched in his hands. He wanted to write something. He needed to write something. He would pen a letter to Chorich's son. The boy must know of his father and what his father had done for his family, for his people. Though the boy, Duncan, was only a babe of a few months, he'd eventually grow to be a man. And it was Kenneth's duty to tell Duncan of the great courage of his father. For in time, the grass would advance and fill the fresh dirt over Chorich's grave just as it had Drostan's and would forever veil the valiant deeds of one of Dalriada's finest men. Kenneth's heart stirred. His thoughts ran amid jagged peaks and dark valleys, searching for words to capture the fullness of Chorich and his indomitable spirit, words that must be recorded or else lost forever with the passing of time. Kenneth muttered a sentence under his breath, laboring with what he'd say. Frustrated, Kenneth stood and gazed at the side wall of Renton's abbey. The small building sat silent, offering no clarity to Kenneth. He turned and walked to the front of the abbey, then slowly paced the dirt path running alongside the small building. He stopped after a couple of steps. He remembered the spot. It was where he'd found Gilchrist, slain by the Vikings, his belly cut open and left for dead. It had been the cruel and evil day when Kenneth's life had been turned upside down. The day Renton had been burned to the ground by the murderous barbarians. Kenneth hurried back to Chorich's grave. He sat again in the shade of the abbey and picked up the vellum parchment and dipped a feathered quill in the round bottle of iron ink. He knew now what he wanted to say to Duncan. He would refuse to be a prisoner of doom, he would spurn death and dare it to make him a servant. Chorich, as well as Drosten, would not be endlessly mourned in what was lost, but rather they'd be celebrated in what they gave. There was evil in this world, but his brothers proved that life was not meant to be lived in fear, cowering behind would-be walls of protection. No, life was meant to be lived in the pursuit of things far more noble, protecting the weak, conquering the villainous, and clearing the land of evil so that families could thrive, children could laugh, and life could be lived. Duncan must know this. He must be told and retold of his father's bravery and courage. For Duncan was free to live and give because his father had truly lived and freely given. Kenneth found the words he was looking for. He penned them one by one, 
finding a certain satisfaction in boasting of his brother and the deeds he had done. As Kenneth brought his letter to a close, he set the quill on the grass beside the bottle of ink. He was sad that he had lost so much, but he determined that he would not live in his sadness. It would pass with time. And when it did, Kenneth knew what he would do. Kenneth allowed his thoughts to settle and clear. He gazed once again at the quiet abbey. He pondered the paradox of the abbey and the graves, an abbey erected to speak of life amidst the inevitable reminders of mortality and death. The former a cure for the latter, though a cure too few would find. Kenneth peered down at the parchment in his hands and read over the words he'd written. He was grateful for the vellum sheets and the small bottle of purplish-black iron ink he'd found in Gilchrist's small study in the abbey. The cleric had been fond of writing and helping others to learn the skill, but the poor man passed before he'd written all he'd hoped to say. Kenneth's time with Gilchrist was painfully cut short. Still, Kenneth found a certain solace in penning the letter. He hoped in some way Duncan would find solace of his own in learning about his father. Kenneth had tried to capture all that was honorable in his brother, Chorich, the father Duncan would never know, except from the memories shared and the few words Kenneth had been able to pen. Nessa said I might find you here. Kenneth startled, and lifted his head to see Arabella. I wanted to come and say a few words to Chorich. Kenneth slowly folded the vellum in half and rested his hands at his side. I know you miss him, Arabella said. Yes, I miss him. Do you want to talk about it? Arabella asked. Not really. I suppose I should, but it won't bring him back, Kenneth replied. It won't. But it may help you to move past it all. There's a lot to move past, Arabella. He saved my life. He traveled across the entire countryside to find me, and free me from those Viking devils, Kenneth said. And in the end, it cost him his life. It cost Siana her husband, and Duncan his father. Kenneth, Chorich knew what he was doing. No force on earth could have stopped him. Arabella paused for a moment and then drew close to Kenneth. She stared into his eyes, finding his pain. And we both know that if Chorich could do it all again, he would. But now he has a son, Kenneth replied. The little boy won't have a father to teach him how to ride or fish or shoot a bow. Kenneth peered down and mused at a thought, then somehow found the ability to smile, or how to fight, he muttered. A tear hung in the corner of his eye as his gaze found Arabella's. Yes, your brother was a fighter. Arabella returned a smile, and she lifted her hand to Kenneth's cheek. But Duncan has you. You are a good man, Kenneth McAlpin. I have no doubt you will watch over that baby boy and see to it that he grows up to be big and strong. And he has Alpin and Aidan and a whole host of strong men who will teach him all those ghastly things you boys seem to hold dear. How's Duncan doing now? Kenneth asked. He's well, Arabella replied. When I left Siana, she had fed him and laid him down. Don't worry about Duncan, he's in good hands. And your mother and Nessa will see that he is tended to every waking moment that Siana is not holding him. I suppose you are right, Kenneth replied. But I still miss Chorich. I know you do. Arabella grasped Kenneth's hand. Let's go home? They're waiting on dinner for us. Angus poured a single glass of sherry. He lifted the dark red drink eye level, allowing it to settle in the incoming beam of sunlight. There, he held it and lingered on memories past. 
instantly, he resigned his thoughts and downed the beverage in a single swig. After setting the empty glass on the table, he rubbed his temples, moving his index fingers in a circular motion against his head. His headaches were returning, and they added no small measure of annoyance to his often irritated demeanor. Though the large vacuous dining hall boasted sufficient space to conduct a feast for multiple dozens, Angus sat alone. Not that he was looking to host or entertain, yet he would not shun the opportunity to converse and trade wits with another of his intelligence. Such was Angus' plight. For a man etched with such an insatiable and unpleasant disposition, company was hard to keep. Grasping the edge of the long oak dining table, Angus pushed away and rose to his feet. He strode to the window to view the courtyard below. Where is he? Angus muttered to himself. Only moments after his grumbling, the latch of the dining hall door clicked, and the door opened. Diot cautiously extended his head into the room before stepping inside. Lord Angus, I was told that you had asked for me. Yes, Diot, Angus said, stepping away from the window and returning to the dining table. There are a few things I'd like to speak with you about. What do we know of Alpin, and the Scots? Moving into the hall and closing the door behind him, Diot replied, Based on the reports from my men, the clans in Dalriada seem somewhat quiet. They're still licking their wounds and rebuilding the town's Halfton and his horde burned and destroyed. Ah, licking their wounds, much like the dogs they are. Very appropriate. There's another matter too, sir, Diot said, rather impatiently. My men have stated that some peasants were reported to have been killed in the north. And? Angus lifted an extended palm toward Diort, silencing the captain of his guard. I'm certain, Diort, that peasants are reported dead quite frequently. Are they not? And these peasants in the north, are they not always feuding among themselves? Yes, my lord, but as I was saying, these killings have been reported in the north, but also in the south region of Fortriu. Canal of Fortriu is beside himself. Angus' face contorted in curiosity. Canal is always grousing about something. What do those people see in that man? Never mind, the Picts of Fortriu have never been the brightest. How many peasants are we talking about? I believe it was six in the north and five in the south. Diort, there are thousands of Picts throughout the towns and countryside of Pictland. Family squabbles and feuding neighbors can sometimes get ugly. Five here, six there. This doesn't exactly sound like an uprising. True, my lord. But these peasants weren't killed in a fist fight, or a knife brawl at a tavern. The individuals were brutally beaten and maimed. Some were run through with the sword, and some had their throats cut. And in both instances, the dead were said to be families, people of small farms and livestock, sheep and goats, mainly. As well, in both cases the attackers seemed to have taken whatever food supplies were present and a few sheep from each flock while leaving the bulk of the flocks behind. Angus folded his arms and turned. I see, he said. With his eyes gazing at the floor, he slowly ambled back to the window. With the similarities you noted, it sounds as if the attackers in the north and those in the south are one and the same. Agreed, my lord, Diot replied. Angus spun on his heels and faced Diot, do your men have any idea of who these attackers are? Diot teetered back and forth, wanting to provide an answer. It's hard to say. Why is it hard to say, Diort? Angus fumed as his head pounded. I need an answer. 
clearly it is someone needing food and someone capable of wielding a sword. That's the issue, Lord Angus. It could be anyone from a raving madman to a pack of marauding thieves. Possibly Britons, Scots, or rogue picts. We don't have any eyewitnesses. Well, damn it, find some. I want to know who is moving through Pictland and killing as they please. Yes, my lord, I'll put my best men on it. Diort finished speaking and turned to exit the room. Before reaching the door, Angus called to him, wait. Diort halted and faced Angus. Angus exhaled an exasperated breath and sat at the table, rubbing his forehead as he thought. After a long moment, he poured another glass of sherry. Then he spoke, I didn't retrieve you to talk about these events among the peasants. He took a sip of his sherry, wiped his mouth with the back of this palm, and then gently eased his glass back to the table. There is something I need you to do. Diort resumed his typical stance. He placed one hand on the butt of his sword and the other by his side, remaining silent and eager for Angus to finish. You recall the young girl, Arabella, who I allowed as a guest here in the castle some months back before all hell broke loose with Halfton, and those Viking animals? Angus asked. Killing that bastard Halfton was one thing Alpin got right, Angus muttered to himself as he awaited Diort's reply. I do, sir. I recall the girl, Arabella. My recollection is that you were quite fond of her, Diort said, concealing his grin. I'm not interested in your recollection of my fondness. What I am interested in is finding out more about her. Though she lives with Alpin's cousin, Constantine, while playing make-believe that he's her father, we all know that she's a Pict. And as a Pict, she should be in Pictland, not with those halfwits in Dalriada. Are you asking me to have my men retrieve her, abduct her, my lord? Angus shook his head. No, you fool. If she's kidnapped, she'll never stay here in Pictland. At least not under her own will. I am suggesting something much more thoughtful, much more sophisticated. What would that be, my lord? Diort replied. We know her family was killed many years ago, maybe fifteen or twenty. Oddly, I believe they were killed in a manner very similar to the two reports you noted earlier. But that's not the point. The point is she must have relatives here in Pickland, an aunt, or uncle, or grandparent, Angus stated matter-of-factly. Diort, I want you to find them. Do we know where her family was killed, sir? Which town, or which region of Pictland? That's for you to find out. Start asking people and follow the trail, Angus replied. Yes, Lord Angus. We will begin the search immediately to find her relatives. I'll put Grogan as my lead on this. He is a capable scout and has been around long enough to know who to ask to find Arabella's relatives. If she has any still living, Grogan will find them. Very good. That is all, Diort. Diort turned to exit the dining hall. And Diort. Yes, my lord. When you find these relatives, Angus said, bring them to me. He watched Diort disappear and a smirk eased upon his face.